Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay in conjunction with iHeartRadio and Cloud 10 Media. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. to an attorney prior to and during any question. You can't afford one to court appoint one for you. You understand your rights? Your crime spree was over, son. Yeah, you thought you had it licked. But Detective Overtone made you should have turned to shit. <laughs> This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that are of a sexual nature. It should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or from some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes, or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My description of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty. We're telling a story here, but all suspects are innocent until proven guilty. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Y'all, we're going to be continuing the story or the series now, I guess you'll call it, Justice for Mary. And we ended abruptly 
last time kind of abruptly. The emotions are very high, uh, especially after I described the the photograph that I was looking at of uh, Mary's um, injuries when the family had been told there were no injuries or assured that she hadn't been beaten in the you know the photographs were just horrible and and the so we're still on location recording any audio discrepancies or whatever just bear with us all right but this story needs to be told so y'all um we're going back to what we're talking about what's been done in the investigation the let's go back to When do you think he went in and gave his statement that first morning initially that when do you think was the next time they tried to interview him and what happened? He um he was his uh brother in law told him to get an attorney. And so um he never has given another statement. Because he doesn't remember what he said the first time. He did go back in. He did go back in. <clears throat> okay, so tell me, y'all tell me about it. So it, it took a while because uh, he actually left and went um, to That's Kentucky and okay. uh, I think Illinois. Um, and they kept outreaching to him to come back in. They be in law enforcement? Yes. Okay. The uh, detectives, at least that's what they were telling us. And um, he directed them to go through his attorney. So he had uh, originally had one attorney and then did away with that one or whatever, hired another, and then hired another attorney. So it was uh, probably... About two months before they got him back in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At least mm-hmm. two, three months. Yeah. yeah. Um, that they they uh, did re-talk to him with his attorney. Okay. And we don't know anything about that. I mean, it, it, you could... Not... Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, were, we were told, I was told. That the stories did not match. Yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. They didn't match to okay. us. Said that. Yeah. Because well. I saw Peanut. Once they did release my sister's body to be buried, I had. We were going to get together as a family just to kind of support each other. And um, because I live. I came through by the graveyard and I was going to stop to see the graves. And he was there. And um, he told me that a little bit different story than what he told my other sisters. He told me that he went to bed at 2 that night and Mary was working on a box of clothes. He pushed it to her. And he got up around 6, 6.30 and went straight to my nephew's trailer. And that um, he didn't even have coffee. And I kind of laughed and I said, you didn't even have coffee first? 
And he went, no, I was trying to hurry up and get to the hardware store so I could get the paint that we needed for the job. And I said, oh. And he said, um, when I got back, I looked in the trailer and um, I couldn't find Mary. And um, he said, um, I walked around the coffee table and she was laid between the two uh, the sofas and a chair. And he said, um, her body was, was cold and I couldn't turn her over because her hands were stiff. It's okay, sweetie. And he said that this, then he told me that he knows that people think he done it and he didn't care what anybody thought, that he didn't do it. And I said, well, Peanut, I know you didn't do it. I said, um, you would never hurt Mary. And he said, I would kill the person that would hurt her. And I said, I, I know. And he said, I was trying to help her last night to get the fingernail polish off of her fingers. And I went and got some M.E.K. out of my truck. And um, he said, it's in a little medicine cup. But she had it sitting on the couch. Um, and it fell, and it splashed up in her face. So I hurried up and took her to the bathroom and tried to wash it off of her, her face and everything. It's okay. And he said that if the cops came to arrest him, because he didn't know what he had told them when he talked to them, that he was going to make them kill him. He was going to make the cops shoot him. Okay. I smelled alcohol on him, and he told me that him and Mary had a good night that night, that they had had sex and everything. And um, he said, you know, I was having an affair. And I said, no, I didn't. And I didn't. And he said, yeah. And um, that's why me and Mary's leaving to go on these trips because that way we can try to get our marriage back together. And I said, I'm so glad, you know. He did tell me that Tyler was the one who called 911 and stuff. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to look at my notes. It's okay, hey, hey Miss it's okay that the 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 it just shows your love for your sister okay it's okay it's more than just that it's devastation you know when you you're around somebody your whole life who defended and took up took 
and protected you also. And to know that, or to feel in your heart that he took the one thing that meant more than anything in the world to you. It's, it's beyond pain. I understand. And I'm sorry. Okay? That's it. Like I said, this was, he talked to me. I, I didn't really talk to him and go on. Because I just, I shut myself up. And yeah, if I hadn't saw him at the graveyard, I probably would have never spoke with him. All right. All right. Because they all kind of protected me and kept me out of the loop. Which right. is a good thing. Right. That's okay. And then they were protecting you too in their own yes. way, right? Okay. So so the y'all you, you have some children? I was say, uh, kinda circling back to what you had asked, you said, you know, what did the detectives tell us? Yes, so let's let's it's important. Let's go back um it's important for the storytelling. Let's go back chronologically and I'll shut up. Y'all tell me what happened. Uh, the first time y'all went in, you're leaving. They assure you she wasn't beaten, right? From that point on, to the best of your recollection, the, um, and whatever you want to say, tell me what the timeline is of and what happened during the investigation, including when you found out that it was murder, and what was said about that, et cetera. This is a really important part. Do you have something else you want to say first? Okay. Well, I mean, when we went in the very first time, less than a week after she was murdered, they knew she had been killed. But They did, did not tell us. The detectives did not tell us how, but they knew. They, Bouquet said... He didn't see anything, but he had a gut feeling. Okay? Mm -hmm. That was the first initial. The very first time you went in. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and so we were saying, you know, I mean, it's under investigation. Mm -hmm. If she died of, let's just say, COPD, mm -hmm. it's not going to be under investigation. Right. So we knew, I mean, something, you're telling us it's under investigation. So something's happened. You know, they asked us about their life, about the younger years from the time they got married, you know, when they were young till, till she was murdered. Kind they of, asked us all of that. Kind of the same thing I asked it, you today. Right? Yeah, except we were there for, um, oh, I don't even know. Four I mean, five hours. Yeah, four or five hours. And they interviewed y'all Separately. Separately. Right. Separately, yeah. And then we've gone in multiple times since, and at sometimes it was four hours, sometimes two hours. Okay, on those times you went in, that they called you back in, or y'all went in, or both? Um, no, we, we always called them. I, I called them every Friday. Was, was every Friday. Every Friday I would call for an update. And what, um, and what would you get? Um... I was told that they knew it was him. I was told that they were going to rule out everyone else, that this is how it's done. They would rule out everyone else, and he would be the last man standing. Um, 
they shared that um, he was uh, still having the affair with the same person, um, that they had uh, been following uh, where the travel trailer had been moved because the travel trailer was being moved, uh, even out of state. Um, they made um, reference to um, others that had came in and had gave, given a statement. State referencing uh, how? Referencing that uh, there had been others who had come into the detective's office uh, saying that um, he had he had told them the person that he was having an affair with, mm. he had told that person that he would kill Mary and he would kill um, So this kind of went on uh, for a while. These types of updates was given. Um, he referenced that it was a matter of time that they were, uh, they were waiting on the final autopsy to come in and that um, they were ruling out everything else and he would be the last man standing. Um, I, I had questioned them on had they done DNA uh, from underneath her fingernails, um, you know, multiple times going in. Um, they kind of more or less would allude that there were certain things that they couldn't give us. Right. The, the, they were aware of the whole MEK thing? Yes, they, okay. were, right. uh, they were aware of the MEK. They were aware of everything. everything. Okay. Uh, when I say everything, um, we took them for, for every step, more or less, kind of how we have shared with you mm. um, through it. Uh, even they asked us about her drinking. Uh, that was like a hot question, uh, saying, uh, was she a heavy drinker? And I was like, no, my sister was not a heavy drinker. Uh, she drank. And so they wanted to know, like, what was her uh, liquor of choice? And I said, well, it, it just really kind of depends. We, we took a sister's trip every year. And uh, as many of us that could go went. Right. Uh, every time... I, myself, uh, Laura, and uh, Mary was always there. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, yes, we, we would have drinks. Um. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. 
Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process? You pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Sayonara. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A S T E P R O allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I'm trying to think of the. Rum, rum shada, and would put uh, like a dash of fireball kind of in it, you know, t- typical uh, drinks. They, they shared that they had picked up a fireball bottle uh, from that night. Uh, Peanut had, had been referencing how she had been uh, drinking that night, and um, And she, she had like threw up, um, and that that wasn't my sister. I've been with my sister on on every year. <laughs> We're in our fifties, okay. Right. So every year we go on a sister trip, and we we have drinks. We go out to the beach. We you know go out to eat and things like that, and have drinks. But we don't get you know throwing up and. You know, he kept making reference that she actually put her finger down her throat to make her throw up. And I'm thinking, this just wasn't something that my sister would have done without calling one of us. I'm just being serious. Mm-hmm. If 
if she was sick or something like that, she'd have called one of us. She'd have messaged one of us and saying something. I mean, that was just, it was stuff that we shared. None of, none of it um, made sense, but that seemed to be where the detectives were really focusing mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. day. And so I said, you know, yeah, she, uh, she used to drink Crown Raw. She kind of got to where she didn't drink mm-hmm. really that, that anymore. Um, that we would have like a rum chata with a, a dash of fireball in it. Uh, I will say at that time, um, due to my medical background, I was um, outreaching to find out everything that I could uh, from a, a medical uh, background approach because it wasn't making sense to me. And I knew that he had went back to drinking and him, I, I felt from the detectives that they were trying to say, like, she was, like, drunk or something. And, that, you know, I mean, just like, and that just wasn't, wasn't her, and she had some uh, respiratory issue. Let me, let me interrupt you. The, but they also have, have already told you they know he did it. They were going to exclude everybody yeah. else. Said, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if she was drunk or not. It doesn't give somebody a right to kill you. Okay. Right. And and but so they're telling you this about the drinking. My thing on collecting the fireball bottle is if you don't work it as a crime scene, why would you take evidence? And uh, um, it, 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 there's there's no way you're going to work a crime scene in two hour time that it took the, your sisters to get there and and all that. But that's okay. That that's just me thinking out loud. When I mean, y'all are saying all stuff, I got a million cop things screaming in my head. So the detectives have told you they know this this during the times of y'all going in, and they know he did it. There, um, it's going to be a process of elimination. He'll be the last man standing, and the, y'all listeners, they're all shaking their head, that, yeah, and affirmative. Um, and then, then what happens? What what happens when? The if I'm missing something, y'all jump in. But what happens when the autopsy report comes back and it says she was strangled to death? Well, first of all, Bouquet told me, um, Detective Bouquet, sorry, told me that um, if and when he was arrested, he would call me for me to be there. He told me that multiple times. He also told me at one point... um, kind of early on, and I don't know if it's because I was the one that was communicating, but that when all this was said and done, he wanted to sit down with me and tell me what really happened. Mm -hmm. And then it would be up to me to share with my siblings Mm -hmm. what I wanted them to know. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because we don't, you know, keep secrets. Um, But, um, you know, I mean, we've, the four of us have been going through it and we kept the oldest one out of it to kind of keep her sheltered some, you know. Um, so that kind of blew my mind and I'd love to ask that question. You know, what exactly do you know that, because I, all I could think of is if this goes to court, it's all should come out, right? I mean, if you're in, I mean, it should all come out. So I still didn't understand. Now looking back, I feel like, did you already know this wasn't going to go anywhere or what? You know, I don't know. So, um, Peanut repeatedly told me that they were um, trying to pin something on him. And this started literally probably the fourth day after she was murdered. 
um, that they kept calling him. The detectives kept calling him, wanting him to come in um, and talk with them. They had more questions for him, but he wasn't going to go. He got an attorney, I want to say, the third day after she was murdered. Um, third or fourth day after she was murdered. Um, and he was very upset that they were trying to pin something on him. And I kept saying, I don't understand what you're talking about pinning something on you. If nothing happened to her, there's nothing to pin. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my brother-in-law told me, you know, they'll, they'll do whatever they want to do if, you know. And I'm like, well, it's not making sense. Yeah. And so this went on for three months. Um, and him saying, continuously saying they're trying to pin something. Yes. On. And I even told him, I said, go in and talk with them. I don't understand why you're not trying to help. I said, are you telling me someone hurt her? And he said, no, nobody hurt her. I'm telling you nobody hurt her. And I said, then do you hear yourself? Because what you're saying isn't making any sense to me. Because if you keep saying they're pinning something on you, that means something actually happened and you feel like they're going to blame you for it. And this is before you knew her neck was broken. Correct. Before she was strangled. Strangled, right. And so... Um, and he kept saying, no, nothing happened to her. And I said, peanut toward the end of the three months that I spoke with him, I got very upset with him. And I said, tell me, did someone hurt her? And he said, I'm telling you, no one hurt her. And he said, um, nobody, nobody hurt her. Why would anybody hurt her? I said, I don't know. I said, but I'm telling you now, you are refusing to go in and talk to the detectives if, if I find out someone hurt her and you didn't do anything to help find the person that killed her, I will never forgive you. And he still stuck to his story. Okay. Right. So it was three months. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It was three months in that Lucius went and picked up the death report. Yeah. I, I was made aware that it was finalized. Mm-hmm. But it, the whole time before that this was like June you know so I mean from March to June so the whole time I mean I had a hard time believing that he was really involved knowing this was the guy I mean played baseball you, you together your baby. We, we hunted together I guess. I'm, I'm you know we were we were closer than brothers okay? right. it's about anything two young boys can be involved in we were probably involved in right. growing up drinking and running around and all that stuff and you know, becoming men. So to have him, you know, we cried so much. I, I mean, he would call me when he would go to the cemetery. He'd come to my house to drink coffee to calm down. He was going to kill himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really felt, you know, he wanted to tell me something, but he didn't, He, you know, from that perspective. But other than made me feel... There was something more to it. I mean, I even asked him, you know, Pina, did something happen? Do you know what happened? And he said, nothing happened, Lucius. And he swore to me that I've never lied to you. I wouldn't tell you that. But yet, he called me and, you know, he wrote out his, you know, suicide note in my truck and asked me to read it. I mean, he, he told me, he, I said, Peanut, I don't want you to do this. We cried about it, everything. And he said, Lucius, I, you're here because I know how strong you are. I know how close we are. I knew you would try to talk me out of it, but you know me. Nobody else may not know me, but you know me. Nobody's going to talk me out of what I'm going to do. And I said, 
I understand. And so at that point, I let him do what he felt he needed to do. I mean, and my, I think that was when I started feeling he was confessing without confessing. Right. And I hate to say that about my brother because I don't have, you know, other than what I feel and what we've been told, I guess what you call proof type stuff, right? right? Evidence. I, I relied on the detectives. I never spoke with them until that. And so he wrote out his suicide note and he was going to call me. He, you know, and I said, I, you have to understand you have to do certain things if you're going to do this. I mean, I spoke uh, very frank you know, about it and mm-hmm. blunt with him about certain things because I said, the way things are looking, there's going to be a lot of suspicions. There's going to be a lot of suspicions. There's going to be mm-hmm. questions, even with people being involved. He wrote out things and read it to me. He wrote out his sorry notes to his kids. And I still have this it. saw and yeah, the suicide note. He gave me all that, you know, and asked me to hold on to him. And I did. I kept my word. I would always keep my word to him. And just mm. because what's going on don't mean I don't love right, him right. or don't care for him. Um, Let me ask you though, the there in suicide notes and I have much, much experience right. in this area, okay? The the Apologies to his kids. Whatever did he say? And I'm not asking you to detail it. But it, it anything he just kept saying he was with. sorry. And the the yeah, gist of the note was yeah, he's sorry. And, I, and the way he did he out, say I, I'm, what he was sorry for? No, I because I even mentioned that to him that the way he wrote the suicide note, I said you need to be you need to say what you're sorry for because people's going to assume the worst, you know. And he says, I don't care. Kind of like what he told other people. I don't really care what other people think. And so, but he just said he was sorry. He said, I'm sorry. And so I left it at that, figuring, you know, he just maybe couldn't come to that, you know, point in his life to say what he was sorry for. But it made me feel I knew. I mean, I, I and I hate to say that because I did not want to believe it. I mean, I actually didn't. I, I had spoke with my sisters and I was probably a little reluctant to, to listen to it because I, I did not want to believe it, and I, I don't want to believe it. Yeah, I understand. But, uh, the, so he, he chose the day. He called me out. We was at the, to the cemetery. We took a last dip together. You know, he used to dip, I used to dip, and right. I had quit dipping for many years. Right. And so I took a last dip with him. And he said he was going to call. He told me exactly what he was going to do. Call nine one one, but he was going to call me first, then call nine one one. Did he tell you how he was going to do it? Yeah, he was going to shoot. He had he had two guns on. He had two guns on, and uh, and at that point, I asked him. I I, I actually probably in a moment of weakness, thinking now legally, but I asked him. I said, did I need to stay with him and hold his hand? And he told me exactly how he was going to position himself. So because he didn't want to put no blood on the grave sites or anything. And he said he thought about committing death, you know, suicide by cop. But then he said he thought about it and he didn't want to put that burden on them. And that wasn't fair to someone being just doing their job. And uh, he, he thought, and then when I asked him about holding his hand, he said he wouldn't, that, you know, we were too close and he didn't want me to be burdened with that either. And so he asked me to go home, and he would call me in a few minutes. And then 
he would do it. But he, he knew I, he wanted me to take care of certain things for him. Wow. And so I did. I went home. I mean, I, I, mean, I was a wreck, but I went home. And, uh, he did call. And he said he was coming to drink coffee with me. I said, okay, good. And uh, so I seen him pull up. He was on the phone. He came into the house. He was very excited, giddy, happy, like saying that the detective had called him. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I can only tell you what he told me. That the detectives had called and that the person who had went in and had said certain things about him, about allegations, had came back and had uh, uh, retracted, recanted, recanted their story. And that without that, they had no case. Yeah. And that's what he said. And I was like, okay. But the whole time, so that, you have to understand, that was at the time when I started kind of feeling something was very weird because case about what, right? I didn't have the death certificate. Why would there be a case? Why would you be concerned about it being a case if you was going to kill yourself out of grief? And why would, why would you be care if there was a case, if you was grieving to the point to where you're going to kill you, I mean, kill yourself, write a suicide note right. in front of someone and kill yourself. Right. So I was, I was, it took, it took a day or two for those things to kind of soak in my mind a little bit, me to think logically. I'm usually a very logical thinker based on my background. But at the time I was happy. I was happy for him. I was happy that I didn't get the phone call. Right. And because, I mean, the suicide note actually had them call me. He actually had called my brother, Lucius, and my father. But when they found him. And uh, so it was kind of a good thing. And he he had to delay it because he was actually going to do it because someone had started working in the grave site that day. They was removing a monument for getting ready for a burial. And he was going to have to wait till they left. So... Call it whatever. I don't know. I mean, at his point, it was like almost like an intervention. You right, know what I mean? For, right. It was something that had stopped it, and and that's what made me feel so weird about it. And because I wanted to believe it so bad that maybe he had nothing to do with it. But then, when you start listening to how everything started transpiring, so then, you know, here we are, three months now. And then the certificate's ready. So I go pick it up, and it's obvious what it shows, right? Someone did hurt her, and she was killed. The two things that he swore to me as my brother, that had not happened. And you have to understand our background. I mean, the type of violence, uh, bar fights we've been involved with, uh, what I've seen him, you know, do and right or wrong, uh, for anybody to think that they had hurt her and him not react violently completely the other way was very strange to me. It was it was almost eerie. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, you know, I, I couldn't even I couldn't I couldn't fathom how how it was, was happening, you know, in my mind. 
So I immediately made an appointment to go see the, the district attorney. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, I wanted to know. I had a certificate in my hand. Mm-hmm. I w- it was been three months. And it says homicide. I wanted to know what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't care what who had talked to who and what detective. And uh, I knew of these people, I, but I hadn't spoke with them. I wanted to go. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Straight to the top, want to know what the hell was happening. I went there. Uh, the district attorney was out of town. Uh, I met with the senior assistant district attorney. And he asked me what case. I told him. He wasn't quite, he seemed to be not quite sure about it. Didn't really know a lot about it. But as I spoke, But then he asked me, but y'all have like recordings or something? Don't your sister have like one of y'all? I'm like, my my sister may, I don't know. So that told me right there he knew about the case Mm -hmm. because he had been talking to the detectives probably that knew something about recordings. I didn't really personally know about them or know that much about them. But I knew at that point when I got the certificate that my sister said she had some. So that told me he did know something. So I felt a little bit played. Okay, but I understood in an investigation you're going to ask questions and not and try to find out maybe something you don't know today. Mm-hmm. At least I gave them the benefit of the doubt of that. Uh, on my way home, because they basically said, you know, that he was texting. He actually wanted a copy. I gave him, I let him take a picture of the I had a, actually a picture of the certificate, mm-hmm. so I gave him, like, because I didn't want nobody to take it from me. Right, right, right. And so uh, he was texting everybody at that point, and they were beeping and tinging back, and, and he kept, like, talk, keep with his hand, motion, keep talking, I'm listening, but he was also mm-hmm. multitasking. On my way home, I ended up getting a phone call from the district attorney. Himself. Himself. Not the Assuring me he had... Not aware of this case. It was just been brought to his light. This is, you know, which I found it highly strange that if there was even a suspicion of a homicide, 
And now that one had been ruled a homicide in your district that you don't know about it. Being from West Baton Rouge, being you know, involved in politics, I understand there ain't a whole lot that you don't know about when it comes to that level. Right. Now, in his defense, maybe he didn't know the details of it, or maybe he said there was some going on. But he called all of us. He wanted everybody's number. They wanted everybody's contact number, phone number, siblings. So they were going to reach out to us. And they did. He called literally everybody except my oldest sister, which we shielded. I didn't get called. Well, yeah, you probably did. But he called basically everybody who was kind of somewhat inquiring. Right. Maybe right. that was the, the part about it. And assured everybody they were going to do whatever and this and that. And, you know, obviously he had a couple comments about, you know, then maybe things don't look good for the person who's the last person with her. This is not looking right. This is, you know but assured me that they had to do their investigation and then it would be turned over to him. Okay? The cops had to do their thing. Right. All right. Basically, a month goes by, or almost a month. I had not seen Peanut since. I got that certificate. Mm -hmm. And the time he was going to kill himself to the time I got that certificate, and probably a month went by. He, I think, had left town, maybe was working, or something like that, which was another indication to me all of a sudden it just stopped, right? The communication right. with me kind of stopped. Uh, I mean, this is a man that, that was gave you his suicide note. That's yeah. how much communication you were having. And now, yes. boom, the no, autopsy's no, out. No. Not, yeah, and not yeah. talk to me, right? So I, I go cut the grass at the cemetery around our family plots just to kind of help keep them nice because they put flowers out and mm-hmm. I try to make sure that, you know, there's always looks nice. And there's people who take care of it, but I just go out there. I'm OCD, but, because uh, they can't do it good enough. But <laughs> having said that, <laughs> I pull up one day and he, I mean, that's a cemetery cut grass, finishing up. He pulls up. My brother-in-law pulls up. I don't know what to think at that point. I don't know how to react. Mm. There's a part of me that wants to be almost like upset and mad. And there's a part of me that wants to know the truth. You know what I mean? I really want to know what happened. Mm. Okay. The report indicates what happened, but it didn't tell me why it happened or who and so he came in, he hugged me. He kneels down to grave. He looks at the grave because I had cut grass and everything. So I squat down right across from him with the grave in between us. And I said, I asked him, I said, Pina, do you remember you told me nothing had happened to her? Nothing, no one had hurt her. And he said, yeah. I said, it did. They hurt her bad. He said, who? So I don't know who, Peanut, but they hurt her bad, and they killed her. He didn't ask how, who. He asked who. I, I know. My, my, he didn't say my, how. My, I would have been like, how? What and happened? then he wanted to know, you know, like, would I tell him once I found out? I said, no. I said, I, said, I went to the district attorney to find out. And he said, well, what did they say? I said, there's suspects 
That's all they left. That's all they gave me. They were suspects and they were handling the investigation. And he says, well, you, you went talk to Tony? And I, he said the name. And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, you, and then he, he grabbed my hands and he said, promise to tell me when you find out who it is. And I said, I will. And he's, at that point, he's crying, right? And I'm, I just, at that point, I didn't have any more tears because I had cried uncontrollably with him for a long time. So I walked away and I said, I got, I got to go. Because I was, t- I was tired. I had been yeah. cutting grass and I said, I'm leaving. Yeah. And he waved at me and that was the last time I seen him. And that was July, maybe, right around the beginning of July. And so that's the last time you've seen or heard from him. Yeah, okay. and that I can remember. That's the last right. time that I've seen him or heard from him. So what happens, you go talk to... T- to Tony Clayton, the DA, or you, the ADA, uh, Stasi, and then Tony Clayton yeah. to go ahead. And let, let me and let me finish it by saying I, after that, because of the investigation that was going on, and I had spoke with Tony a month, you know, or the district attorney a month before, uh, out of courtesy, professional courtesy, I, I called him and said, "Hey, I don't know what's fixing to happen because yeah. I seen him, and I asked him." And I told him what I said, and I told him what he said. Mm-hmm. He says, well, "Okay, well, because I, I, I think they were even they were they were not I say upset, but I, I don't know how they were, but it seemed like they were not comfortable with us having that report mm-hmm. because it seemed like that was something they did not want us to have, right? Mm-hmm. Of how she died." Mm-hmm. Uh, but I told him, I said, well, you know, from an investigation, he said, well, he, we have not been able to get him back in. Uh, but if this was my wife and someone told me what you told me, first thing I would want to know is what's happening. He said, so let's see how this plays out. I haven't spoke to Tony since then or the district attorney since then other than a text because I asked a while like uh, after that. For an update, I, because I remember the detectives through word of mouth was saying they, I think it was the district attorney, assistant district attorney had told me at some point they were wanting to get the family together and tell us where they were at and what they were going to go do. Now, they couldn't share everything, but they was going to kind of give us a brief us, tell us where they were at in the investigation and where we would go. And they would have the detective, they would have everybody together at one time because it seemed like there was some... Not sure what the left hand, right hand was doing. And out of respect for everybody, that's probably typical. You have the investigation side, then you have the prosecution side. Mm-hmm. But typically, they kind of work jointly, mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And so when I text the district attorney and asked him to maybe if he could have the detectives do this, he, he responded that respectfully that he could not tell them who to meet with and that they had to do their investigation before it was even handed over to him. So he had kind of distanced himself a little bit from it. Uh, and, and I just said, thank you. And he responded very quickly. And I, I thanked him for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I did. I made, I made an appointment to see the detectives. And that was the first time I ever spoke with the detectives. I know one of them, but I didn't have never spoke with them. And what happened at that appointment? Well, we went in and uh, my sisters, uh, Laura and Laura, went in with me. And... Uh, we had a discussion 
more about them kind of wanting to know everything a little bit about what you know just in life in general a lot like what we're doing now mm-hmm. uh, but they assured us that you know they felt he was guilty I guess and I don't know they I, I assume that in through and uh, when you do any kind of interview or such with the cops they can tell you basically whatever they want to tell you they, they can lie <coughs> You know, in my opinion, mm. as long as it's they're not promising you things, mm. <laughs> and so they they pretty much I think tell anybody what they want to hear. They think they can get more information out of it. So they asked a lot of questions. They knew a lot of the history of Peanut. The first thing they said, I want the first thing which I felt was kind of odd was that when they came in and introduced themselves, which I kind of knew who they were, uh, but that they wanted to rest us to rest assured, or me to rest assured, maybe, that was more talking to me, that just because he was part of their organization at one time, that they were doing everything in their power to investigate. Meaning that he was the warden of the, at one the West Baton Parish Prison, right? Commission. They, they're letting you, yeah. they want to assure you that they're going to do their job yeah. no matter what. And so we did a lot of that, uh, talking back and forth, kind of explained some things. I, I raised questions that I had, some that I've shared here, some that my sisters have shared. And they talked a little bit, and uh, we left. But they, they told you, or they told y'all again, that they yeah. believe that he did yeah. it. It's gonna be a yeah, process. they felt... They felt as a suspect. Right. He was their number one right. suspect, right. and that the recordings will speak for itself. Because I know they record it. They mm-hmm. act like they don't, but they did, mm-hmm. and I, I'm pretty sure they did. And uh, I would, and they could say, "Well, we say that, but I don't mean we mean it." But it pretty much was almost saying they knew he did it, mm-hmm. and that uh, you know they was they needed you know they they needed stronger evidence, and that they was trying certain things. And that, matter of fact, after speaking with me, they were going to try, it was going to be, the lead detective, you know, Doucette basically said, I'm going to try a different method after speaking with you. I don't know if it'll work, but I'm going to try something now. I have not spoke back to them or have they reached out to me. this is like in August or September? uh, What was it like? So I'm like, when did we meet with them? Oh, jeez. It was probably, well, it was after he quit talking to me, so, I mean, it had to be about Yeah, August. it was around that mm-hmm. August time, probably. Uh, and and, probably and since, the since then, what's the contact been? What have they said about the case? Um, I called Bouquet probably now four or five weeks ago. Um, guesstimation. This was the last time I spoke to him. Um, well, no, probably about eight weeks ago. He told me they were at a dead end. And I was like, what do you mean a dead end? And he said, well, we're at a dead end. I said, so you're talking cold case? He said, no, as I told you before, Miss Cash, this is not a cold case. The file is on my desk. I touch it every day. He said, but as of right now, we have nothing new. So I called him again about, uh, two weeks later, and because we, we have provided them a lot of information, and 
I called and I said, um, calling for an update. And he said, still nothing. And I said, oh, you don't? I said, well, I do. I have something new. And he goes, oh, you do? I mean, all excited. And I said, yeah, but I'm not sharing it with you. I said, I have given you information for seven months. A lot of information. And I feel like you haven't done anything with it. Whether it's you, whether your hands are tied, I don't know and I don't care anymore. I said, but I trusted you. We all trusted y'all. I said, and nothing's being done. And I said, so... And I heard the door shut, so I didn't know if someone came in, someone went out, I didn't know. So I just said, have a great day, and I hung up the phone. And that was the last. Well, I did try to call when I spoke to you. Mm-hmm. You told me to call. Mm-hmm. I did call, and I recorded it. No one answered, and mm-hmm. no call has been returned. All right. It seemed like they, were, they had, it was like one of the last comments that someone had made is that without a confession, they didn't know if they would ever right. do anything. Yeah. And I, I will say that uh, we, we provided uh, my laptop to them. Uh, and as well, when they originally got the, uh, made, did a subpoena for the telephone numbers, everything that we gave them, uh, they actually sent it to the wrong uh, service unit so to, to get the records. So then they had to turn around and resubmit it again um, but that was one of the things I kept saying was what a, a guru they were with cell phones um, and laptops uh, yet they could actually find nothing at all on the laptop where we knew we had at least all right stop two. stop time let's go back to uh, Lucius. where he stopped the last contact y'all had, and you said, "I'm not giving it to you." Yeah. Y'all, we got to we got to cut in one more time because we're past time. Sure. All right. This is it has to be told. Now, I mean, I, I have some thoughts I'll share with y'all when I get done. Cop thoughts. We're at the one hour mark. I'm going to shut this episode down, and it'll be concluded next week. So stick with us. And Lopa. If you're a lifer in Belgium and you want to be a hero and save lives, go to lopa.org, take two minutes and sign up, be a hero. You don't have to be from the state of Louisiana. Be a hero, save lives, sign up to be an organ donor. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay in conjunction with iHeartRadio and Cloud 10 Media. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 